Our veteran guest for this episode of Straight Outta Combat Radio by Green Zone Hero, presented on the Heroes Media Group. This veteran is a uh, man with purpose. Corman, who is uh, affecting people's lives in such a positive way, it'll blow you away. He's got a fantastic story. Don't leave the radio on this one. You want to hear his story. And thank you for listening to Straight Outta Combat Radio. Your steely-eyed killer shadow in the night You were born to fight My name is John Krotek, and I want to welcome you to Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. We're here to honor the wisdom of America's most valuable asset for combat veterans. We're authentic, we're empowering, we're American. Save us all before they burn it down. It's Brian Jacobs, Navy Corpsman. Combat veteran. Met Brian about six years ago when he had started the Vets to Chef program with the University of South Florida here in Lakewood Ranch, up here in Bradenton, Florida. And 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 since that time, our friendship has grown, but he has done some amazing things to help veterans. I can't say enough about Brian. Uh, he'll tell you more about his story, but I can't say enough about how much this veteran truly talks the talk, walks the walk, and has helped people in their lives incredibly. So, uh, you know, welcome to Straight Out of Combat Radio, Brian, and uh, let's get down to it, man. This is a story about combat veteran wisdom, but today's episode is about you. Tell us about you and uh, how you grew up and how you even made it to the military and all these things we want to talk about today. Oh man, <laughs> it's a it's a story, man. Um, you know, and thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate the time. And uh, you know, I what can I say? You know, it's 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 been a roller coaster. The more and more I look back, the more and more I knew that uh, that was my call to life. You know, I wasn't made to to go to college first, uh, even though I had hoped to go to college first. But there was something about me that, um, you know, if, actually I fought going in the military. Um, it was my grandfather's last wish. Because I had grown up a military brat. I had grown up from birth. My dad was in the Navy. Uh, he was in the Navy for 14 years of my life. Um, you know, at that point in time, when you're young, you don't realize the quality of being cultured. You know, you don't realize moving around for years actually does something beneficial for you. Because so many people, they grew up in one place their whole life. And as a military brat, I was jealous of what that meant. I was jealous that they had friends forever and they could, they everybody knew each other's family and Every place I went, I had to go make new friends. I had to go learn a new sport. I had to speak a new language sometimes just to exist. And I didn't realize that amount of culture and what it did for me as an adult. But I didn't also realize that it I was made for the military. And I was made for the military. <laughs> so who were your mentors growing up? How did you, you know, you mentioned your grandfather, but how, what fermented in your heart and soul? Uh, this love for America. I know we've had talks offline, and I know how you feel about our country. But was I, obviously he was your mentor. Were there any others? You know, I mean, every male in my family served. Every male. I mean, my grandfather, my father's side, all my uncles, everybody served. Everybody had gone to war. Everybody. And uh, you know, it was funny as I when I did, thought about going in the military. You know, I, I looked at my dad was he was a uh, dive salvage diver, UDT2, out of Low Creek Amphib Base. Um, he did his time with the elite. He was well renowned uh, in the military. 
Um, the other mentors, uh, you know, just my, my grandfather, it was family. I mean, I, I, I came from a family that, uh, cared. I came from salt of the earth people, uh, people that were humbled by, you know, had, had probably more than I could even imagine, but didn't show it. They, they just lived happy. Um, and it was like those lessons. I mean, and I don't know how I had this intuition, but I was picking up on the, these, these signs and, uh, but I wish I would have kind of focused a little bit more as a, as a teenager, but none of us do. Right. <laughs> Man, we could go there too, but, uh, yeah, I hear you. Uh, so it was my grandfather, my uncle, Danny, my uncle, Michael is a published artist. I mean, there's just so many, um, there's so many teachings, um, but it takes maturity to see teaching. Um, and it's a, it's such a, I know it's a life lesson when you realize that the teachings have been there your whole life and that all you had to do was accept them. Yeah. Did you, now, did you go in the Navy right after high school? Is that how it worked? No, no, I didn't. I actually flaked around a little bit for about a year and did, did everything under the sun. I was a cook. I was a lifeguard. What else did I do? I mean, I think I was a fisherman. I worked at a catfish farm. Um, I, <laughs> I think I, I was on a, I rode on a tugboat for like two months. I mean, I went out there. I sold cell phones. Um, what else did I, do? I, I don't, I did. I was a bartender. <laughs> I mean, I, I was like, so that's like I, a couple I, of years. You're out there for a couple of years doing all those things. Less than a year. Yeah. I was just like, just what, who am I? What am I going to be when I grow up? That was like, get out there and figure it out. And, um, my family was, uh, my dad was very gung-ho about being 18 and poof, get out. <laughs> so what year so, was that? What year did you graduate? I graduated actually in 1998 from high school. So a and few it, years before 9-11. Yep. And then uh, 1999, 1999, actually three weeks after my my 20th birthday, um, I went in the military. And where did you go? You went Navy training. Was that Great Lakes? Yeah, I went to Great Mistakes, as we call it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> choose your rate. <laughs> choose your rate, choose your fate. And, um, you know, I went to Navy boot camp. And Navy boot camp wasn't hard. Um, matter of fact, um, I just letting, if they listen to this, they could probably pick it up a couple of notches, uh, because, you know, when I went to Navy boot camp, there was Navy a school right after, which was hospital, hospital and school, Corman, a school right across the street. That, that was tough. Um, it was mentally challenging. It was 16, it was 16 weeks. Yeah. How did 16, you, how did you pick that? How'd you pick Corman? Just, you know, your, well, uh, your, the <laughs> ASVAB or, you know, was that it's, it's a great it's a great story, actually. So um, I did fairly well on the ASVAB, and I guess you have to to be a Navy corpsman, but you got to excel in certain areas. And I guess I did. Well, you know, this uh, big, heavy set senior chief walks in. Never forget him. Big, black, bald senior chief. And uh, he goes, hey, I got two jobs for you. I was like, what's that? He goes, you can be a nuke tech or you can be a Navy corpsman. And I was like, well, what's a nuke tech, dude? And he's like, no, you don't want to be that. You don't want that. I was like, on okay, a submarine cool. somewhere, probably. Yeah. Right. Or, well, he didn't tell you get E5 out of A school and then you get a $100,000 reenlist, reenlistment bonus. Mm. He didn't tell you that no it was doubt. in the middle of all four all girl colleges in Charleston, South Carolina. Four very important things, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And he was like, you want to be a Navy corpsman? I was like, really? Why? He was like, uh, dude, in hospitals, hot young doctors and hot nurses, man. A guy like you, looking like a dude. All day, you're gonna have some good times. Sign Down me up, bottom. bro. Yeah, put me in. Put me in, coach. And <laughs> at the end of this, um, uh, this uh, piece of paper was this thing that says FMF. I said, "What's well, this FMF thing?" Oh, he goes, "Man, that's optional." All right, cool. I'm in. He goes, "All right, cool." So 
I get to Navy A school and I'm there day one, first five minutes. This guy walks in. His name's Chief Noon. I'll never forget him. He goes, 99% of the males in here going to Fleet Marine Force. The average lifespan of a Navy corpsman after first shot of fired is 30 seconds. Who wants to quit? I was like looking around. I'm, I'm in the room with 77 other, you know, dudes and chicks. And I'm like, just happened. You know, I raised my hand. He was like, you want to go? And I was like, no, um, the, the, the career told me it was optional. He was like, I just gave your option. Fuck. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so, um, but I didn't realize the, uh, <laughs> there's a the lot pride. of things they don't tell you when you first, you yeah, know. it was like, Hey, you're going to find out as it goes. I'm very intrigued, uh, by the, you know, to say who I was and what I did in the Marine Corps. Cause that's what I, I consider myself a Marine. I identify as a Marine. I hate to say it, but cause there's blue side and there's green side Navy corpsman. And, uh, I never saw a ship, you know, I saw a, a Naval clinic for eight months waiting for, uh, I was going to go to try to go trial for recon. Yeah. And I had hurt myself in fleet Marine force training. Um, I ended up kind of, uh, breaking a fibula, no big deal, but, uh, <laughs> stress fractures, right? I didn't realize that. I mean, I started a class with 77 and we graduated with like 22. Right. And so the attrition rate is extremely high. Come to find out it's the second hardest school to graduate from in the military. SEALs being the first. It's very mentally challenging. It's very physically challenging because it goes from a Navy A school into Fleet Marine Force training. And FMF, by the way, is um, basically Marine Corps indoctrination, uh, which is Fleet Marine Force. When you learn how to walk, talk, carry, shoot, run – Pump, pump. You learn to do all these things, and it, it is uh, it's going back to boot camp, and uh, you go back to boot camp for an additional eight weeks. So and, where uh, was that training at? Where was where was it was this? at Camp Johnson down in uh, Camp Lejeune? So Camp Lejeune is Camp Lejeune, but there's all these sub bases. Right. Like there's SOI, MCT, there's Camp Johnson, and it was amazing. I mean, it was it was like camping out for eight weeks straight. Really, what it was. Um, but it was really cool because I mean, it was, you were starting to find identity because you being a native corpsman, you really don't know who you are until you put on, you know, that the dizzies or you put on your camp, your woodlands and, you know, you roll your sleeves the first time and you got those sleeves nice and, you know, you're not wearing gunny rolls. You actually got them nice and tight and, you know, you're walking around and someone calls you doc. Hey doc, you know, right. because it's not something you don't. You, they, not everybody gets called Doc and is, and is meant when someone calls you Doc and they give you your Eagle Globe Naker, you know, that's how you earn it. You earn it because you've you've paid your dues and the Marines respect you. They don't respect all Docs. Some Docs never venture that way. So where was your first duty station after you got first, you graduated? Anybody show up at graduation? No, no, no one showed up at graduation. <laughs> I was, uh, I was, uh, I don't know. My, my, my father's last, um, thing to me was that go do the deed. And, uh, and my grandfather had passed away seven days after I graduated uh, from yeah. high school. My mom and dad were going through a divorce. And so it was a tricky situation. No one came to boot camp graduation, A school graduation, Fleet Marine Force graduation, uh, saw me off to Iraq, you know, um, you know, but these are, I don't know, you know, you, you have a new family. So when I, you know, when, you know, I was happy that I graduated with the, the men I served with because, I mean, that was my new family. And so yeah. they all showed up in a way. And you're so, you know what, man, you're so right about that, too. I'm glad you pointed that out. You know, Army, you know, whatever branch you're in, it is like a family. And they, they, 
you know, for want of a better word, they strip you down, they build you back up, and you do. You start to take on a life of your own, and now you're part of something bigger than yourself. And, and right. so, when did you first deploy? What was and plus, before we get there, you had a brother in the Marine Corps at the same time, right? Right. He joined up right after 2001, actually. Okay. Um, he was on his way in. I mean, he was fighting to come in. He, you know, I would joined up when I was 20, so that made him 17 at the time. So he still had another year before. And, you know, Fleet Marine Force training and Navy A school and boot camp, it's almost a year long as it is. And if you get, you know, special assignment, like I got selected to train the, the medical officers coming through the medical corps for the right. Fleet Marine Force. Kind of got good at what I did and was, I understood the dodge, the five D's, a dodgeball, dodge, duck, dive, and dodge. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I, you, I picked it up. That's awesome. So you deployed. So you were, I, I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were over in Iraq the same time your brother was there. Is, is that true? Yeah, we, um, Kevin joined up um, right after 9-11 happened um, uh-huh. or right before 9-11 happened. And he was actually in boot camp. Uh, he was in boot camp graduating right after 9-11. I had got orders straight to go to 2nd Marine Division, 2nd uh, Line Reconnaissance Battalion. Got to see him graduate from boot camp. My dad came down and saw him. My sister came up, and uh, we got to see each other. And he got sent off to 29 Palms. I got sent off to 2nd Marine Division. And, so uh, when you were, you know, everybody remembers where they were at 9-11. We just celebrated it last week. Yeah. When, when you know, you being in, in the Navy Corps, Corpsman to boot, what were you guys thinking when that went down? You know, it's crazy because September 11th is actually my mom's birthday as well. Oh. And uh, I had not even had the chance to give my mom a phone call that morning yet. It was, you know, it was nine o'clock in the morning, basically. And uh, I'm looking up at the TV because I was working in a clinic and I was doing some kind of, I was actually, I was actually the shot man, which is really tremendous uh, or horrendous and, uh, to kids, children's lives from four year olds down. I was the man who they feared most. Uh, they would see me at Walmart and cry. Literally, it was hilarious. <laughs> that is funny. Sh- yeah, I'll take you back to the shop, man. I'm like, no, don't put me there. Yeah. No, I was sitting there. I was sitting in my clinic, um, and there's two phones in the clinic. There's a red phone, um, and there was a you know civilian section phone. And I look up at the TV, um, and they're like, the plane just flew into the World Trade Center. We're like, oh my god, how does that even happen? And I'm literally sitting watching because I'm just can't. Uh, I'm in shock and yeah. utter disbelief that. Why would someone fly through the middle of the city that low? You know, my first thought was like, that's so awkward. And then I see the second plane and I knew we were being attacked. And then I hear about the Pentagon and then I hear about the, the other, the other piece. And I was just like, Oh goodness, what's happening. And next thing I know, uh, the red phone rings, um, says, you know, payoffs, you know, I was eight, I was actually HN Jacobs at the time, E3 Jacobs, HN Jacobs, you know, report to the quarter deck, Head down, all orders canceled, no no school, no recon school. Go get your sea bag packed. We're sending you someplace. We just don't know where yet. And uh, as I'm walking to the barracks to pack my bag, my mom calls me. And I, you know, she's like, what happened? Where are they sending you? And I says, I don't know, but I'm going somewhere. So how soon after 9-1-1, 9-11 were you guys gone? You're, you're, you're packing, you're getting ready to go and. I was literally, I was at Camp Lejeune, so September 11th happened. I was in Camp Lejeune uh, almost on Veterans Day, actually. Um, it was literally that fast for orders. It was six, less than 60 days. Gave me a week to go say hi to family, go to, and then go into a unit that was high speed, low drag, and 
the training commenced, and uh, I think the Iraq regime was already on the um, was already on the, the planning book. I hate to say it like that. Yeah, the radar. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was already there uh, because the things we were doing prior to even Iraq, in my eyes, being brought up to speed was uh, we were doing. We went to double CACs, you know, which is out in Twenty Nine Palms doing double. I mean, desert warfare training. Why would we be doing desert warfare training? You know, why were we doing so many live fire ranges? You know, I mean, everybody was, everybody was at a different tempo and you could just feel it. Not that anybody truly knew because it was like, um, you're only supposed to know what we need you to know. Next thing I know, we're told, Hey, we're boarding a plane. We're going to go into Kuwaiti desert and set up shop. You know, still didn't really know what was going on. Sat around the Kuwaiti desert for about, about a month, month and 15 days. Just a lot of urban urban warfare, uh, a lot of mountain training, um, you name it. Uh, digging trenches, under, identifying dirt, what's soft dirt, what's hard dirt, what's what a what, what's good, what's good defilades, how to maneuver the desert. I mean, you name it, we were doing it. It was ridiculous. And my little brother was um, there as well. He had got the country literally probably about a week after I did, and was with three uh, seven. I was with uh, Task Force Tarawa in Second Line Reconnaissance Battalion. And so we were the tip of the spear um, in every major engagement. We finally figured out that something was going to happen when they they gathered um, us in a, in a big formation and called out only certain names. And I had known a couple of the other guys had brothers that were serving. And uh, they said, and they got us, and everybody's dismissed. And they said, hey, we're going to we want you guys to go meet your brothers, go say your brothers. You got to sign some paperwork real quick. Okay, what's up? You know, had to sign the Sullivan Act, basically. Yeah. And, uh, Tell us what that is again. Tell Basically, uh, Sullivan Act encompasses that the fact if you and your, your brother go to combat, um, that if one of you gets killed in action, the other one gets a ticket home. And it was one of these things that you want to fight and that you're here to fight. But you know that if one of you gets hit, gets killed in line of duty, the other will, will leave combat and go home and take care and provide and create a family. Right. So. So you got so you were pretty clear on the mission then. You guys knew something was going down. You're called out of formation. Yeah. You're signing paperwork. Was yeah. was the was the mission clear? Obviously, they were to support casualties. But th- th- did you believe in what was going on? I mean, no. You know, you know, it didn't ever, happen. To, I think you know, actually, General Mattis. This is when Mad Dog Mattis was actually still in command. He gave us our LOD speech, our line of departure speech, because we were at the tip of the spear. You know, nobody knew going across the LOD what that meant because it was a giant berm that they had built, a giant wall that you had to be to blow and go through. And uh, you know, I actually I didn't know we were at war until I saw Tomahawk missiles flying over my head, and we're sitting on the LOD waiting to go through. And we look up, and it looked just like fireflies in the middle of the night, and it was ridiculous. And we heard the alarms go off, and it was because they were firing ballistics back at us at the main lines. And then we got the call, and we mounted up, and it was showtime. Game on. So when was that? What month was that? Month and year was that? That's February. February of 2012. Uh, 2003. Oh, I'm sorry, 2003. That's right. So, okay, so game on. You guys are in, in the thick of it. You're yep. at the tip of the spear. You're, you're taking casualties. You're doing your job. Uh, what kept you going? Uh, I, I, brotherhood, you know. And, uh, you know, when they say your, your training takes over, I really can attest to that because I don't know what, how my mind stayed focused. Um, I felt like a zombie. 
I really did. And because we had not slept or ate, um, we did the battle of Nasria, which is our really first major engagement. And, uh, it was, it was when I, I look back on that, that's, that's the first time I had ever heard shots fired in anger. I ever heard, uh, that there was ambushes or, and that there heard mortars coming in and heard gunfire and, you know, and just was all at this, I mean, I, there's not a level of tempo that can replace that adrenaline rush. I mean, there's just nothing like it because you're just, your eyes are so wide open, your blood's pumping and your whole body is just waiting. It's just waiting. And there's not a second that, you're not just poof, on point. So you're on high alert all. Can you? Can you? You're on high alert all the time. Yeah. Is there anything, Brian, that you can look back on in the time you did one or two deployments? Two deployments. You did two. That's what I thought. Is there anything in particular, any one instance that you could think of that that just seems so surreal you just couldn't believe it? <laughs> I mean, without going, in, I mean, I'm just asking, yeah. you know, man. No, it's you know, I, you know, it's actually that first battle. That that first battle sits in my head like it's, it's just because that's when every my life changed. Yeah. Um, and I remember just uh, reacting, not because I had never in my life heard Corman up or heard a you know a scream for a doc like I heard um, during those times. Uh, and, uh, it was real. Um, I remember standing outside the, you know, we were sitting on top of this bridge in Nasria trying to defend through suicide alley. I'm standing on the outside of his vehicle and I'm laughing. I'm laughing because I'm so, I'm so, I'm so scared. Yeah. Because it, it has not hit me. It did not hit me yet. Um, that this is real until the shit went down. And when I say shit went down, I'm talking about full-on Cobras, Hellfire, Mortars. Uh, the fourth Amphib got whacked at the end of that bridge. I mean, multiple multiple casualties. It was so quick. It was just like a snap of a finger and hell let loose. Yeah. And I'm sitting there watching this, and it's almost like a it was almost like a Matrix moment where there's there's rounds landing all the way around you. And I, I remember looking up and my staff NCO looked at me. He's like. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? Get in the vehicle. Like, and I'm just standing there in a daze. Like, I can't believe this is happening. Um, Cause it was nothing you could have ever prepared my, my mind for. And I just could not believe I was there in that moment. Yeah. You know, and, you know, a lot of the veterans that I've talked to, of course you were there and I was peacetime guy, but you know, it, it, it's chaos. Yeah. Am I, am I, I mean, but is it a control chaos or it's just outright chaos? You know, that's the thing is that's when I talk about that training taking over because you, you function in a different manner. You are not you in, in combat. You are, you are this and you are, you are bionic. You are just functioning. Uh, there is, I mean, if someone said sleep on that rock, you slept on that rock. If someone said, you know, you're on post, you're not allowed to sleep. That's what you did. I mean, you were like a robot. Um, and so I would say it was it was very functional chaos. Um, and it was and you were thriving at a level of just just I mean, it was like 100 proof you know, octane. Like you were just on this uh, next level of focus and drive and, and I, not even I can't even call it a tunnel vision, but it was kind of like a tunnel. 
because that's all you saw. So you guys were in your unit in particular was in direct support of Marine Element. Is that is that right? We were the front line of the Marine Element. So and did you was your brother part of that too? He was. He was on the on one of the, the uh, flanking wings. So we had third ID as supportive infantry for us. So we would go in first to every major city, um, clear the cities, uh, fight, create a, a basically a, a safe haven for other units to come up and set up and start to take over the cities. So we would fight through enough to create havoc and create a, a vacuum, as I say, almost in pursuit of people to draw to us and the rest of the, the you know, third ID or the other infantry would come up and like uh, settle the cities and and not allow the fighters to come back into the cities. Uh, that's what I saw because um, we were always at the tail end or the first to fight in every major engagement. So it was I mean, moving it was, pretty quick then. I mean, it just it was not it a was lot of time. Split. Yeah, no, two and a half weeks. And I mean, we spent two and a half weeks fighting in Austria. And uh, I remember the first time I slept. Um, I slept. Uh, we would have been awake for about seven days, and uh, that's no lie. Uh, it was delusional at that point in time where I was. We were. I was seeing Hodge. I was seeing things. Yeah. And uh, they're like you. They pulled us off the front line because. We just kept going just because we kept running suicide alley trying to pull uh, KIA and wounded out of uh, out of the zone. It was it was crazy. Did this? I slept. I, hey, go ahead. <laughs> I would say I, there was a firefight that broke out, and I'm literally so there's machine gun machine gun fire incoming. We're literally laying underneath a berm because we had to sleep, and we're sitting there with one two and two eight embedded at the foot base of this bridge, and. Uh, this would a whole Jessica Lynch thing went down and yeah. all this piece. You know, when the proverbial smoke settled, if it did really ever settle, did, did you ever get a chance to see your brother during that first deployment? Did you see him in country at all? No, uh, which I was really happy about. I hate to say it like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I got to see him seven days before I went across LOD. Um, but the bad thing is, is that I knew his unit call sign. And so, you know, when you're on the web and you're hearing all the units engaging in different firefights, um, I would have to block it out because I because they were taking casualties. You're you're hoping that it's not him. I mean, that's all you can do. But the thing it is, is if I let my mind go from where it was, then I would become a casualty because hmm. I had to stay focused. It had to have been tough for sure. You know, so. So thank God you make it through one deployment. But, you know, <laughs> then you go you go back for two. Yep, go back for two. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, I mean, sign me up. <laughs> yeah. Now, was that uh? You don't get. I mean, that that comes down as orders. You know, um, there was two sides to it, right? Uh, the first side to it is, um, you train and serve with these guys, and I had been promoted um, while I was in combat uh, to third class. I had somehow magically passed the Navy test and um, got promoted while I was in combat, and it was put my. Uh, my, uh, my Eagle on, um, my Chevron on when I was in, in Kuwait, I actually got pinned in Kuwait. And, uh, it was kind of a thing when you, you now became a, I was a senior line corpsman and I was actually brought over by the company first sergeant from alpha company, um, and said, Hey doc, you know, I want you to head up Charlie company, you know, what you did, you know, in Iraq, just, uh, I can't, I can't, can't go to another unit, not have you put up a fight, made basically kicked the other corpsman out of his unit and said, I want Doc Doc Jacobs. I want only what he selects. That's it. I mean, I did I did my I did my job and did some in Iraq and uh, I earned I earned my name. 
Did your brother, now your brother went back after his first deployment? He did. He did. He went back in 04 and uh, he went back and did uh, Phantom Fury. Um, he did uh, Fallujah and then was up in Haditha and it was part of when uh, uh, Corporal Dunham jumped on the grenade. And uh, my brother was actually the PFC on that patrol. And Corporal Dunham was his personal friend, you know, mentor. I mean, just a all around good guy that, I mean, I had spoken you know to on the phone, actually. Um, so, I, I mean, I knew these people that my brother served with. I mean, it was weird because my brother being a Marine, me being a doc, they would call me up and, you know, mess with me and that I would, you know, mess with them for being idiots. But, you know, <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he went back to his second tour in 04. He left at the beginning of 05, went back to his, back to stateside. I went back uh, February of 05 and uh, was part of um, out in Korean Village, out in the Ambar province. What, so when did you finally when did you finally come back to the states? End of 06? Uh, uh end, end of 05, so it was okay. February to November. Long well, deployment. Well, well, you guys both made it back, thank God, and and you know would you have done would you do it again? Yeah, I would. I would because I the sense of service I have and the sense of pride of the person I am. There's not many people like me. Um, matter of fact, it's, there's only 2000 active greenside corpsmen in the whole military yeah and uh that's that's an amazing number i mean if you look at how many people there are in this world that's we are such a small select you know and i, I always kid with the marines when they say you know the few and the proud and so you must be talking about the docks because there's less of us than there is you <laughs> and yeah. that's not necessarily a good thing but uh second tour um second tour is kind of what did it for me rules of engagement changed the the, the pursuit of the fight changed there was missions but there was no we didn't know who the enemy was. Yeah, and so we were fighting everybody. So that that was around the surge then. That was in 05. So, okay, well, you made it back, and um, tell us a little bit about the transition. You know, when you decided, um, you decided you were finished with the Navy. Did you go in the reserves? What happened when you ETS? Uh, you know, it's funny is that I none of this was brought to my attention that I could even do these things. I got out the military thinking the grass was greener on the other side, just like the rest of us do. But, you know, the thing it is, is we're out there looking at this horizon, you know, we're, we're not looking at, we're not looking right in front of us and there's a shit ton of potholes. Yeah. I um, mean, there's some craters that we have to get through before we get to that horizon. And, and I was one of those that, that hit those craters. Um, I, I did, I, you know, I got out thinking I was going to do this and that and, I didn't have didn't have nothing to my name. I didn't have degrees. I didn't have cert. I, the only thing I have was certifications from the Navy, which at that time didn't matter a hill of beans. Um, Navy medicine was Navy medicine. It, it existed in Navy. Being a you know trauma technician like I was with you know, with OEMS school under my belt, um, that didn't matter to anybody. Nobody cared about what I knew. They cared about where my degree was from and wh- how much time, uh, it wor- what unit did I work with, and what fire department. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm out of the Navy. Oh, that means shit to us. Was that in Florida? Were you in Florida at the time? I was in Virginia. Oh, yeah. I was in Virginia actually, and uh, that was the hard part. Is that there was Eastern Virginia Medical School was there. There was all kinds of uh, pieces, and I tried to go back. I, they would only let me get my EMTB, and I was just like, I laughed at it. I was like EMTB. I was like, I was EMTB the second week of core school. Like uh, that's that's six years ago. Like here's my piece of paper. They're like, well, it's not from a. It's not accredited. What are you talking about? <laughs> and um, so that was the only job I could get medically was actually drawing blood as a phlebotomist. 
Uh, and making nine dollars an hour so you must be thinking you know first of all it doesn't seem like you were prepared you know for what you faced when you first got out but here you are young man combat proven chaotic situations can handle stuff definitely under pressure and then you get out in the civilian world the best you can get is somebody that can draw blood draw blood wow so so, you know, obviously, you know, it'd be stupid to ask you, know, how did that make you feel? But but you got through it and you eventually, you know, you, you made it to Florida somehow where I linked up with you the first time yeah. when you were working at USF. And and I'm thinking to myself, look at this guy. This guy has got a lot of stuff going on and the program that he's doing is really making a difference. So tell us a little bit about how you finally crawled up out of that. And how you made it down to Florida to create the Vets to Chef program, which, by the way, is and was and will be phenomenal. I know you've changed a few things around and you offer some good programs. But tell us about how you got out of the hole and how you made it to that program because you obviously turned it around. Yeah, you know, I I have, you know, and I I look back at it and I just uh, it was um, (sighs) – I was, you know, you, you tie your own bootstrings. You had to pull your own self by your own bootstraps. I mean, I was homeless. Um, I was fighting PTSD. I was self-medicating. I mean, I'm one of those stories that you hear every day about what you should not have done. Um, and that's what I've realized. Is, but that was also part of my journey. Those things had to happen. And I had to realize that those things had to happen. Those people who were in my life at that time um, had to be in my life to create that journey, which is horrific when it, you stay like that but when you realize that there's a purpose for it later in life th- that it, this story will now make a difference and inspire somebody who's in those shoes now and that their life will not be what it is it's going to be something as long as they can see it and you know what i do, what i realized is that you know i had um, i had a great you know upbringing from that that gentleman i admired so much my grandfather he was a chef, and that's really kind of what I grew up doing was cooking. And uh, I remember, you know, hearing a voice, and it was a calling, and it was, uh, you know, get your life together, son, because no one else will for you. And that was something that he said to me quite often. Yeah. And when I heard that, you know, the only thing I remembered I loved to do was cook. And uh, I really enjoyed cooking because I like to see people happy. I like to see people loved and enjoying their life. And I mean, this, uh, there's, I go, so many reasons why I love food. But when I tell people this, you know, food chose me then to save me later. And it saved me by giving me a an identity. It saved me by giving me an artistic way to challenge my, my thought process and to invoke feeling and emotion through food and through flavor and through technique. And it... I, I fell in love with letting my mind go to a place that it had to stay focused. It had to work hard. It had to study. And it didn't allow me to go back to the things that were controlling my, my emotions. Uh, I often tell veterans, tell veterans a lot of times that, you know, when we get out, we see black, we see pitch black because we don't, we see nothing but darkness mm-hmm. and that, you know, this, the culinary world became the, the inkling of light in my tunnel and I just kept walking towards that light and as time progressed it got brighter it got brighter and it gave me opportunities that I could never I'll never ever be able to to replace and it's all been through something that we love to do so you got your degree you you 
yeah, I got my degree at the Culinary Institute of Virginia. Yeah. Um, did pretty well there. I was a spokesmodel for them. Actually, there was a commercial floating around for Culinary CIV with me on it. But what was the greatest is I worked for a gentleman by the name of Han Chadler. Han Chadler was one of the top 50 chefs in the world. Did some amazing things. Was supposed to be the presidential chef. And the man comes to me one day and says, hey, I can't teach you anything else. And I'm like, do what? He goes, you learn too fast. And I was like, well, that's not good, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he goes, no, it's great. He goes, but I can't, I can't teach you anything else. I got to send you to somebody who's going to teach you more. And so he sent me to Florida down here to uh, a master chef, uh, master chef Peter Timmons. I remember having the conversation with the master chef before I came down. It's all, all the great things I could do and I accomplished. I worked hard, my ethic. And he says to me, and he was Irish, and he said, uh, he, and he said, Brian, do you think you're going to come down here and run my kitchen? And I said, well, no, not a right away chef, but one day I will. And it was within two years of that that state of words that I was running his kitchen. Awesome. Congratulations. I, yeah, it's not easy. Yeah, it's not easy. I mean, it was, you know, I didn't take anybody's position. I just showed them the desire to work with them. I showed them that I could make the team better. And that's what we have to really understand is that veterans, we work better, we function better in teams. We're not great at doing things by ourselves. The military set us up for success and and then, then really hurt us when it comes to failing because we don't fail in the military typically. You know, your team allows you to conquer everything. There's nothing you can't do in the military. And when you get out of the military, you have that same mindset and you're searching for a successful team to be part of again. <laughs> and that's really what culinary brought me to is understanding that team exists and that it takes a team to raise a kitchen it takes a team to put out one great plate and that a team is only good as the last plate it puts out the same thing the last round that goes down range if they all men are standing at the last round we've done what we came to do as a team yeah so great words man you know and it's so true so so usf that's the chef oh yeah they, yeah that's that's go. what we met but i mean but so you're doing some great things you're you're hard charger you're learning you're doing some amazing things actually but when i met you you were doing vesta chef at usf university of south mm-hmm. florida and like i said just a minute ago it was like holy cow here's a guy that's really doing something to help people not only is he doing what he loves to do which is be in the kitchen work with teams and create all this great food to see people happy but you're helping people do the same thing veterans that are making that transition like you did tell us about that you know the the program was inspired you know i got a phone call that uh, we hear too much about today we hear about the 22 a day when we all know it's more like 50 55 whatever and i'm not going to argue with anybody because i know i've lost a friend over a month and a half ago now another another veteran another veteran another corpsman who i served with this program was dry because i i got a phone call on may 28th 2014 uh that my younger brother had taken his life um, to, and, and became one of the statistics of this veteran suicide. Mm, sorry about and, that. Uh, yeah, the, uh, tell you, there's not a day that goes by that I, I don't wish that I could give it all up and have him back. But I realize also that this is my purpose in life and that I've been chosen and anointed to this purpose and this cause in my life and that I can't, I can't step away from this. Uh, this is something that I was chosen at eight years old when I started looking, making open face roast beef sandwiches that one day I would be the teacher and one day I would be that leader because there's so many of us that are walking around this world with no direction, no vision, no identity because everything we want we're allowed to be and that we, we actually loved about ourselves. We're no longer allowed to be that person. 
I loved being H and three FMF Jacobs. It was my identity. When I got out, even today, I still identify as that Corman because that's how amazing I was. That's how it made me feel. But I realized that once I started to develop this organization and I started Bet the Chef, um, I gave me a sense of identity again. It gave me, I'm a, I'm a chef, but I'm, a, I'm a, someone who inspires people. I'm an influencer. I'm a life changer. I started figuring out all these things I had become, I'm becoming. And all these things made me feel like I belonged. And then I have found my, you know, reaffirmed my faith here uh, lately, uh, which has been an amazing journey all itself. But, you know, Vet the Chef, you know, was originally a five-day boot camp as a crash course because I just wanted to make a change. I had to see something happen because there was nothing happening. And I said, what are we going to do about it? And when I asked certain people and it wasn't, nobody was, you know, there's only one other person named Skip Sack that was sitting at this table said, let's do it. Uh, and within six weeks, I wrote a curriculum and we started our first Vet the Chef class. And I just said, you know, it's not enough. We got to figure something else out. Mm. And uh, the, the program you know, with USF support elaborated to a, uh, a 12 week program. And then I said, well, it's not enough. We're, we're missing. We're missing something. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I said, we're, this is not culinary school. This is, this is identity through food. This is what this needs to be. We need to teach people about who they are through something they can do. Oh, that's awesome, and said, man. And that's, you know, we've, so we've since grown from uh, vet to chef to vets to success. Um, it would vets, vets to six VTS number two success.org um, is our 501 C3. Um, we're registered in the state of Florida right here in good old Braden, Tucky. We are just in a small community. We're making an impact here. How many how many veterans have you touched through the program? Over 35 now. That's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one, one's enough, I tell people. This is what I try to explain to people because people are like, oh, you know, when do poor project, blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, they've been at it for 16 years. I said, I've been at it for less than two years and we're, we're already outside the state. That's awesome. You know, and I know that I've talked to you offline before and I know I know you, I know your heart and I know that when you say you're going to do something you do it, but when you do something you also mean it and and it shows in the work that you've done. Should it? You know, if what does freedom mean to you? Uh, <laughs> it's Oh man, there's, I don't know how they define that anymore. Um, it's changed because, you know, I used to look at what the American dream is. It was that freedom. Um, but freedom to me is being able to live a life with purpose. That's and, a good answer. You know, do you think freedom's available to everybody here in the States? You know, it's available to everybody in the States, but not everybody will find it. Hmm. I believe that uh, a lot of people are searching for it. I believe they're looking for what that freedom is in their hearts. And freedom comes to you in, in different ways. Um, some people want to live off the grid. That's their freedom. Some people, that's their purpose. But I think it takes you time to truly find a calling. Um, and not only to find a calling, but if, to feel um, to feel anointed by that calling. Because if it's not purposeful, and that's what we have to understand, doing purposeful work in this world is really what sets you apart from everybody else out there doing work. That's We're all working. That's an awesome way of putting it. Because you know, Brian, I just read something about it's great to have passion and enthusiasm, but that can be fickle sometimes. Yeah. But if you throw what you just said, if you throw passion or purpose into it, it's so much more meaningful to the overall mission in life. Right. You, you know, they, they say this same old, you know, same old little saying. It's like if, if you live what you love and love what you do, you never work a day in your life. 
and I, I'm going to change that. If you're passionate about what you do and you're purposeful in the way you do it, you'll never work a day in your life because that's truly, I mean, you can love everything and everybody, but without passion and purpose in your life, then you're just kind of idling, gliding through life. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. Some very good wisdom there. You know, if you if you had a, a message that you want the non-veteran population to know about veterans, but especially combat veterans, because we hear a lot of negative things, and there's this perception yeah. that you guys and ladies are all loose cannons and ready to go off at any time. What do you want the non-veteran population to know? You know, actually, you know, some stereotypes are good stereotypes. Um, you know, that loose cannon piece, you know, the thing it is, is you, you're really about to, it's like, I guess they're the synonyms, you know, you're the words that mean something else. Being a loose cannon has made me a great entrepreneur. It's made me a great leader. Um, it's made me somebody who believes in impact and change, not just going with, with the, the normalcy of life, wanting to step outside the box and be something more. You know, combat vets have seen they've seen an, another side, and the simplicity the simplicities they want to live in their life is amazing. Um, they want peace, they want happiness, they don't want to be challenged. They want to to work in a good family business. They want uh, camaraderie, they want brotherhood, they want purpose, they want to give service. And you know the stereotypes that you know set us off is that every veteran has PTSD that has been in combat. You know I I can't speak to, for all. Um, I can speak for the ones I know. Yeah, you've seen some crazy shit, but it's just like a child you know being abused their whole life. They've seen some crazy shit. They have PTSD too. You know, you see a best friend die or a car accident is horrific. You've been traumatized. Mm-hmm. And but you know, it takes a community to raise to raise a child. They say, and so, so it takes a community to reintegrate a veteran. You know, it's such great uh, insight because I'm glad you point that out about trauma because you know trauma doesn't take prisoners. And you're right. We're all exposed to it. Of course, this show was about veterans in in general, but but I'm glad you pointed that out. If you had a couple of things here before we we, we go on, if you had a message to your brothers and sisters uh, that have worn the uniform and especially to those combat veterans who may be in that place that you're in, you know, what would you want them to know? And then how can people make contact with you to help your mission? So. Message to brothers and sisters and message to everybody in the world about how they can help Vesta's success. All right. Well, message to brothers and sisters, you know, is remember, remember why you served. You know, remember the guy to left, right, front, and back and how purposeful you felt in your service. To find that again. Find that stability in your life and everything else uh, will come. Um, that stability and finding that could also, you know, having reaffirm your relationship with faith, find your relationship with God again, make him part of that left, right, front, back, make him all that. Uh, and then find the people who you want to be like in this life and, and change that, you know, don't go back to the old Rick Maru uh, of, you know, I get this job here. If that makes you happy, do that, but you're not going to be serving the way you want to serve. I stopped to, uh, I stopped waiting for someone to give me orders to do something. And I started realizing I could give myself orders and I could hold myself accountable. I got rid of my sense of entitlement. Um, we've got to get rid of, we've got to push on from the, this mindset. Um, we've got to realize that we can find new purposeful ways to, to feel um, great about ourselves. 
You know, yeah, we served, you served, I served, he served, she served. We've all served. But now let's serve together on a new mission, on a new front, and conquer this first civ div that we, we've been, the new war that we've come back to. Awesome advice. And, and I want to know more about Vets of Success and how I can help. Yeah, well, Vets of Success, we are in our second year now of Prophecy. We are, we're in our funding year, as I say. We've proven the model. We have a business model. Um, and if anybody's interested in actually donating or becoming a major donor to support and sustain the program, you can get in contact with myself directly. It's Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, at vets2success.org. Um, or go straight to our website, vets2success.org. Check us out. See what we're doing. We have a Facebook, Instagram, the Twitter, the whole nine yards, LinkedIn. We're basically moving and shaking and really trying to do some things that are outside the box. You know, my greatest uh, feeling knowing that what we've done in the short time we've done, we've we've gone from Sarasota, Manatee. We're bringing down veterans from Tampa and St. Pete now. We're bringing veterans hopefully from South County, from Port Charlotte, from Fort Myers. You know, as we start to expand and start to help more brothers and sisters, we, we've got to start to be able to put food on the table for people. We've into, so, and we want you to be a part of that mission. It's not about just uh, donating money. It's about donating time because your community is what really is responsible for helping a veteran and his family reintegrate. You know, your money is going to get them some training, some tools, some education. And, uh, but it's the community that supports that veteran that really sees, helps make the difference. That's awesome. You know, I commend you, Brian, for the great work that you've done. Uh, the well, inspiration you. that you've been to those transitioning veterans that are getting their lives back on track. I thank you for your time today, and I'm so glad you made it back safely. Uh, my heart bleeds for your family and you for the loss of your brother. Uh, I'm sure his spirit is going to be here forever. We're never going to forget people like him that uh, paid the ultimate price. And and then I just want to uh, you know offer and encourage you and anybody that's listening. And, you're, and you want to really make a, a difference in somebody's life, if you can support Vesta's success and Brian Jacobs on his mission now to help people get their lives back on track, then I, I encourage everybody to do so. Because by supporting missions like that, you're making people's lives better. And anytime we can make people's lives better, well, that's a good thing. So thank you for being on Straight Outta Combat Radio. I look forward to our next talk. And uh, I know, man, I will be seeing you in the community. So keep up the great work, Brian. And uh, I look forward to our next meeting. Before they burn it down. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine from Green Zone Hero. If you liked what you heard, then tell others about us. Like us and download us. And please remember, freedom is not free, and combat veterans are vital assets. They're not broken. Save us all.